Aloha. Welcome to Condo Insider. I'm so excited this week because the primary elections of Saturday, which means all the commercials will stop pretty much after Saturday. We have a really contested primary with the various candidates and it's created a lot of uh, negative um, advertisements, which uh, I don't like because uh, I find that they take dribbles and drabbles of information and, and try to make a case or get the uninformed to vote a certain way based on uh, their hysteria, for lack of a better word. But well, whatever your choice is, is your choice when you vote. I just hope you all vote. But I would say to you that I'll be glad when Saturday's here. I'm tired of seeing the commercials. Anyway, today's show is about condo governance. And I chose this topic this week because, as you may know, I participate as an expert or a consultant in a lot of legal claims, either the association against an owner or vice versa, an owner against the association, and uh, see tens of thousands of dollars spent to try to resolve some disputes. But one of the things that really comes to my attention when I do this, more so towards the condo association and their board of directors, is they don't understand the very basic principles of governance. You know, when you look back at the parliamentary world, just and, and how governance began back in the ancient days, it began with the Greeks pretty much. For those of you who may not know, Athens and Sparta had very two very different models for governance. You know, Sparta was more autocratic and and Athens was more democratic. And over time, it was in uh, the world it expanded, morphed into uh, rules for meetings and rules of order. And you've heard, all heard of Robert's rules of order, but some of you may not have heard of Mason's rules of order or Sturgis rules of order. And some of you may not know the first parliamentary rules of order in America were written by Thomas Jefferson in 1803. But anyway, my point is when it comes to our condo associations or good governance in general, that there's four basic principles that apply to governance. And the four principles begin with authority, duty, equity, and protection of the minority. And so here's the story I want to tell you today or start to tell you today. Oftentimes boards, when they get elected, they think that the majority of the board members can do whatever they wanna do. And so we'll just hold a meeting and, and vote to do something. Well, there's a lot of untruth to that. If they get to the point that they really believe that's true because when you look at an organization, Yes, you can think condo association, but from a more global point of view, think of an organization. And it's founded with an object or a purpose. Once that association or organization is formed with an object or a purpose, and for condos, it's pretty much maintain the property and make it a nice place to live for the people who live there. And um, among that, they make rules and do a bunch of things. But anyway, when you go back to the very kind of like looking down from the 
20,000 foot level. You have an object and a purpose. And that limits what that board can do. It's got to be within the object and purpose. A good example would be you have a board and you just they decide that, well, we have some excess cash reserves. Uh, let's open a restaurant in the shopping mall. Well, that's not part of your purpose. So can they do that? No. Can they do that with owner approval? Maybe, but it would take a supermajority to do so because it's not part of your object and purpose. Is it a good idea? Absolutely not. They know nothing about running a restaurant. Why would they do that? But, but here's my point. So if you have an association that is at odds with owners or with somebody, and you start to look at what they're going to do and what action they're going to take, it's got to be within their initial object and purpose. Now, I'm an expert in a, a couple of lawsuits right now, and I'll give you an example that you might relate to. So you have an association that was formed, let's say, 40 years ago. And the way it was formed in a declaration was that all owners had an equal responsibility to pay the common expenses, whether they were commercial or residential part of that association. It's like one canoe, many people rowing a canoe. But the declaration itself defines it as a an organization, and here's here's how you contribute to your payments. You take the total expenses and it's divided up this way, the residential and commercial. Well, what happened over time, you see, in modern days, there would be uh, usually a more detailed description of the declaration where common expenses or, or might be divided by class. So commercial paid for these common expenses and residential paid for these other common expenses and, and these expenses both sides pay for. It might be a little more descriptive. But this very old condominium, probably one of the first condo conversions in the history of Hawaii, basically it doesn't say that. It just says that here's the common expenses. And so, in fact, when you look at the cost and the budget, it's just divided up by percentage of common interest. The question is whether that's fair or not. Well, fairness has nothing to do with it. It has to do with when you bought in this property and you looked at the declaration and you looked at what the uh, rules were, or what the policies and requirements were, it basically had this definition of everybody pays for all of these expenses and doesn't address the issue of commercial versus residential. And what I've seen over time is the residential doesn't like paying for what the commercial wants, and the commercial doesn't like paying for the residential wants. And uh, at the end of the day, you have to go back to the fact that there's a single document, the declaration, that when a person bought into that condominium, they saw it before they bought. By buying in, they agreed to it. It's recorded as a part of their apartment deed. And so they're obligated to it. And they just can't, as a board of directors, say, well, we've decided this is unfair. We're not going to do it that way any longer. And, and, and the reason why that comes to bear is most of these projects, the residential owners will have more representation on the board than the commercial owners do. So the ganging up of the residential owners against the commercial owner, owners is not fair. It's not part of the original founding documents. They're, Unless the documents provide and specify a separation with respect to um, 
who's responsible for what. The residential's got to realize that they have a fiduciary duty to follow the documents, the, the roadmap, the rules, you know, the map on how they run their association. So uh, the first thing I said was authority. Does the board have the authority to make its own decision on how it wants to charge everybody when the declaration has something more specific or some other specific standard? This particular project I'm thinking of, you know, for years, the commercials helped pay for the windows for the residential tower. They help pay within the budget for the residential electricity because it's a single meter uh, unit, but except for the commercial has sub metering. And, and so in the end, when there's a problem with the commercial unit, does that give them a free pass so they don't have to pay anything for it? And, and my answer is no. If, if you have an organization that's founded with a set of rules, you're obligated to enforce those rules. So, uh, and the board does not have the authority to deviate from the a recorded declaration. They've got to understand that declaration. The declaration establishes bylaws, so it tells you how to govern. But as far as the fundamental decision-making of that entity, they, in fact, have to follow those rules. And it's very, very difficult to um, um, say that uh, we, we, we don't think the rules are fair based on today's standard. We're, we're going to change it. Well, it doesn't work because when you bought in, you signed and agreed to those set of rules, and you're bound by those rules, and you have to do it. So I said the first word was authority. Do they have the authority to do a lot of the things they do? Probably not. The second thing is duty. Well, you know, they're all directors and have a fiduciary duty to the association. And as such, when they take that single entity, consisting of mixed units in this case, in my example, they have a duty to that spirit of the, the whole project based on what the declaration says. And so their duty to try to steer costs or repairs to one person over another, unless there's clear definition in the documents or clear definition through the actions of that person, it's a breach of their fiduciary duty. They can't simply say, well, uh, I don't want to have to pay. I don't think the residential should have to pay for that part. You know, it's kind of like, saying, well, I don't want to pay for the pool because I don't use the pool. Or I'm on the first floor, I don't want to pay for the elevator. The fact that it happens to be a commercial unit, when the project was set up, it was set up specifically with a way of funding the cost to it. And they can't say, well, I don't think it's fair to my group or to me, and I don't want to pay more money, so I'm not going to deal with uh, this other issue. When in fact, and only if in fact, that organization, that condominium, says that you're all in the same boat together, rowing the same uh, oars and and in the same components together. So it's very critical that you understand that, from my perspective anyway, that you get an organizational set of documents, you have to follow them. There are ways to change them. Some of the things you may want to do, you may not be able to change because uh, the example I use when I teach often is, what if we all got together at an annual meeting and we said, I want everybody will change the maintenance fee structure that only the unit 101 pays all the maintenance fees and the rest of us get free. Well, probably everybody but 101 would vote for it and say, yeah, that's, that's, 
uh, let's make 101. We think they get more benefit from the project. They all ha they have to pay their maintenance fees, all the maintenance fees. Well, there's a provision, you know, in the, in the statute that says that when you want to pass something, it's got to also be approved by the affected owner, owners. So uh, even if you had 99% approving that maintenance fee allocation, the one affected owner could, by voting no, would, would defeat the proposal by the mere fact that it's uh, steered towards an, an owner and, um, and it affects that owner and they can veto it. We see that with yard areas, all sorts of things that uh, are annexed to a unit that somebody wants to change. So uh, back to where I'm going, because we have a short show today, and I'm, I see I'm about at the halfway point. So I said the first two rules were authority. Does the board have the authority to do what they want to do? Is it within the object and the purpose of the association, within the purpose of the condominium? And two, the board has a duty, a fiduciary duty, to comply with the founding documents of the organization. And their role as a board member is to make the original intent of that project, that shift that was built, the, you know, I'll call it the SS Condotanic, um, that they have an obligation, regardless of whether they uh, are residential or commercial, or whether they're on the bridge or they're in the, the engine room to maintain the ship as a whole and run it equally and equitably for everybody, which kind of leads me to uh, number three point, which I called equity. And so at this point, we're going to take a short break and come back in one minute. I'm back as I was giving you my feelings about the issues I see in the condominium world that lead to litigation or mediations and arbitrations or unhappiness between owners and boards. It gets down to basically, I'm saying good governance and where boards don't follow the tenets of good governance. And the first two we discussed in the first half hour is authority and duty. And as I said a moment ago, uh, the authority is, do you have the ability to do what you want to do? Do you have the authority as a board? More times than not, you may not. And the second thing is duty. The duty is that the board has to comply with their governing documents. And they've got to be managing or voting or taking action based upon the total strategic goal of the object of that purpose of that entity and not their own personal preferences, how it may affect 
a class of owners like commercial versus residential or a parking class versus the commercial. It's, you, they, they can't look at it on a personal basis of, of what am I going to get out of it? So the third pillar on the four stools, I said, was equity or fairness. <clears throat> now, equity and fairness doesn't mean because your document was written incorrectly. It doesn't mean that because you have a different point of view, you think someone's getting more out of it than you're getting out of it. It has to do with the fairness of, of how you vote and apply all of your decisions in accordance with the, with, the, with the governing documents. The fact that something isn't perfect and you bought into it and accepted it when you bought the building, you may have to live with it. There are procedures as a board if they felt that there was something to uh, it was not contemplated when the document was founded or the or the association was founded, I should say, um, you can you can change it, you know. But that authority to, to change it may not rest with the board; it may rest with the owners, and it may rest with what we call affected owners who who uh, uh, have um, a right in this. An example I can think of is another project I'm working with where the uh, board doesn't like the, it's a very sprawling project, doesn't like the water feature that um, primarily has value to a group of owners in the project because it's pretty to look at. It's really a nice feature. And so people who bought there have bought there because, oh, I like this unit because it's got the water feature. Well, the board, when they looked at some of the repairs to the water feature, which is defined in the, declaration is that that's ah, too expensive to maintain we're just going to do with it and put sod in well can they do that no they can't do that they don't have the authority to do away with the common element is defined or common expenses defined in the declaration they have an obligation back to the duty to make sure that those people get what they bought you know and so this whole issue is a fairness why is it fair to that group of owners? Because the rest of you might save a few bucks by not having to maintain the water feature, even though it's part of the founding documents and part of everything you knew when you bought there. What gives them the right to just say, well, we're going to do it for cost reasons. This is too expensive to maintain. Well, the board doesn't have that authority. They frankly have to maintain it. And what they have to do if they want to delete it is go to the ownership and get approval including the owners that are affected by that, which would be the ones who bought there expecting to get up every morning and sit on an eye and see the water fishing. You just can't unring the bell and say, we're going to make this project different than what it was believed to be because your whole job under the statute is to maintain what we have today and keep it going today and replace those things as they wear out. And so if you all of a sudden have a water feature and first of all, you should be asking yourself, can it be repaired? And if it can, who cares what the cost is? You have to repair it. If it can't for some reason, then you have to look at putting in a new water feature that's comparable to what they had before. It just can't be done that people think that for equity and fairness, we don't want to spend the money. I think that's the biggest problem I see with condos. And nobody wants to ever address the real cost of living in a condo. And... Um, that's just how it works. And the last of the four stools of the leg, remember number one was authority, number two was duty, 
Number three was equity and fairness. And I should, by the way, before I do number four, tell you that there's something called the maxims, maxims of equity. It's a legal term that when you start looking at fairness in one of these cases I have that uh, one of the commercial units uh, has a maintenance fee defined in the, uh, in the uh, documents. And that's the maintenance fee that's been paid for 44 years. Well, now the board has said, well, I don't think that's fair. That unit is actually larger than what it's said in the declaration. So uh, we want them to pay a different maintenance fee. Of course, this condominium is cash short, needs money, looking for other people to pay. And they're saying, well, we're going to change that, the cost of that. We're going to sue them because the way the documents are written, uh, the developer made a mistake in, in what he put down. There's no basis for that. I mean, it's going to go to a, a trial or arbitration. There's going to be a lot of money spent. And at the same time, my prediction is going to be that the uh, uh, board is going to end up having to reimburse that owner all their legal fees and expenses. And, and they're not going to win that argument because there's no basis to um, you know, say that here you have a document that was recorded that from owners to different owners over 45 years. This is how it's been charged, but the new board thinks that's unfair to the other residential owners that have that commercial unit pay not as much as they think it should pay. And so we're going to go back after them and sue them. And they did. And so that's still outstanding right now. But what a folly that is to even consider such a thing. And um, but anyway, the fourth maximum or the fourth pillar of good governance, protection of the minority. And what is meant by that is when you look at good governance, the fact you may have a majority on the board, let's say they're all majority of residential units, they, they have to end their voting, not try to use, well, I'm going to take care of the residential side and just screw the commercial side. They can't, as a, a matter of principle, not protect the minority interest that was in the object of the association in the founding documents to make sure they get equal and fair treatment and they get everything they bargained for too. So you can't look at it like the largest voting size wins and they can do whatever they feel like doing. And and I hate to admit this to all of you, but I do so much consulting and litigation as I'm not a lawyer, but I do so much on the consulting side that I see so many association boards simply think because they're elected that they can make whatever rules they want, enforce it whatever they want, penalize owners and, and drive up costs to try to drive to their success, not realizing they're violating all of the standards of good governance. And if you look at Robert's rules as a whole, we're all familiar with motion and second and how you run meetings. If you look at the premise or the preface of Robert's rule, it's all written about good governance, about these obligations I just talked about. You know, your duty is, yeah, the, the Robert's rules may help you in a meeting and maintain order, but here to what the foundation to Robert's rules is, it's good governance, authority, duty, equity, and protection of the minority. And that's what your jobs are as a, a board member to execute that. And I would hope that uh, these matters wouldn't get this far, but they become very personal. 
they become almost like I've got to get that person in. And they're not paying enough, so I'm going to make them pay more. And because I've been elected, that's what I'm going to do. Well, you're wasting your time and your money. It's not going to work. And at the end of the day, you create a lot of anger in the association. And when the real issues come forward, destroy the ability of people to work together because they don't trust you anymore. So I'm basically a simple guy. Back to good governance. Just Make sure you have the authority. Make sure that you're going to execute your duty as a fiduciary in a fair manner based on what the organization is, not your personal preferences. Number three, make sure it's equity and fair, fairness. And four, make sure you protect the minority interests, even though you may represent, like I, my example, the, the residential side, which has a majority interest. You have an equal obligation to the minority interests. And if we did that and talked more with each other, we would have less problems with respect to running our association. And on that note, we're at the end of the show. I want to again tell you how happy I am that the, the primary elections are almost over. I can hardly hold back my enthusiasm for that. And I want to wish you all well and look forward to seeing you at a future Condo Insider show. Aloha. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.